Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. I told Charity the other day, sometimes I struggle with uh, sermon prep because uh, in my head I want every single one of these to be inspiring you know, uh, just moving. I always think in my head, I'm like, I just wish everybody would walk out and just go, man, I'm ready to live for Jesus this week. I want that. It doesn't always happen. You don't have to agree to that or amen that. But uh, I definitely get to passages because we work through the scripture. I get to passages that have a little bit more technical stuff. And so today I've got some technical things to work through. Okay, before we get to the uh, chunk, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through a big, fairly good-sized chunk of Scripture. I'm going to try to keep moving through it, and then I'm going to get to the end of it. I'm going to pause, and so if you're listening to all that, you're going, I don't know what to do with all that. At the end, then I'm going to try to pull it together and give you something to take with you this week. Okay, does that make sense? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day, and I just want to ask now, God, that you give me wisdom as I speak, as I share Lord, help me to uh, be able to present your word and your truth in a way that is understandable. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with each person in this room, that you'd help them be ready to listen and to learn for the things that you might have for them this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're at the very end of Paul's third missionary journey, and we're nearing the end of Acts, and uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. We're going to start with verse 13. And so if you want to just follow along, I've got the scriptures up here for you. If you wanted to look in your Bibles and follow along there as well, I'm in Acts chapter uh, 20, starting with verse 13. Uh, We just, uh, uh, last week we had uh, Paul, and uh, does anybody remember what was going on last week? Nobody remembers Lucky? Yeah, Eutychus uh, was, uh, they were in Troas, and Eutychus, whose name actually means Lucky, um, was a youth who fell out the window and died, and uh, Paul actually brought him back to life. And it's, it's an interesting story, kind of one that sticks out at the beginning of Acts 20. But now we're here, so Paul is going to go ahead. And so we're going to start off with a little bit of a travel log. So Luke is with them, and so you're going to hear some we in there where Luke is with them as he's writing this. And it says, But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. We met us at Assos, uh, we took him on board, and we went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. Uh, the next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to uh, sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So very quickly, I just want to pull up a map here. Um, I'm actually going to zoom into the center part of this. This is Paul's third missionary journey. So he set sail from Antioch way over there to the right. The red line is his outgoing, uh, not set sail, but he left from Antioch, is outgoing, went up through here. And now the green is his return trip that we've been following along. Let me zoom in a little bit there. And this one's kind of blurry, so I had to find another one. And uh, so you can see there, the uh, green dotted line is the path that he's taking right now. And so you see Chios, and uh, uh, he's going down there. Miletus is where he's at. So if you look right above Miletus, everybody see Miletus down at the bottom, center of this? Okay, right above that is Ephesus, right? Everybody see that? I don't have my laser pointer with me. So, um, so he's 
He's down in Miletus. He passed by Ephesus. And did you hear his reason? He wanted to keep moving because he's trying to make it to Jerusalem in time for uh, Pentecost. And so he's trying to get there as quickly as possible. And if you know anything about his time in Ephesus, he might have been thinking, if I go there, I'm going to be there for this long uh, because he knew those people, right? And uh, some of us know that feeling. I can't stop there right now because it will take you. I'm trying to keep moving, right? And so he doesn't necessarily want to leave them behind, but uh, he knows he needs to keep moving. So the next part that we hit here is Paul's farewell speech, okay? There are several places in the Bible where you see a, a famous person, so to speak, you know, some significant figure that gives a farewell speech. And uh, before the end of the service, I'm actually going to hand out this paper for anybody that wants one. Uh, I've got some extra notes. There is so much interesting stuff as I was studying this particular passage, and I thought, I don't have time to talk about all of it. And so I put some of it on here, and the first part right up here at the top is some other farewell speeches in the Bible, okay? So uh, we might talk about this some this Wednesday, uh, but uh, I'm going to hand that out later if you're interested in that. Uh, But this is Paul's farewell speech, okay? It's not like he said to himself when this was being recorded by Luke and he was writing it down. It's not like he said, okay, it's time for my farewell speech. I'm going to give it now. But this is what it's come to be known as, okay? Um, He's going to begin with the defense of his ministry. And so I'm going to try to go quickly through this. I'm going to point out some things as I go, okay? And so we're going to go through this, this farewell speech. And so here we go. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of that church to come to him. So even though he didn't stop in Ephesus, he gets to Miletus and he says, send to have the elders of that church come down here because there's some things I want to talk to them about. You may notice that word elder in there. I'm going to put up the Greek word for elder. And uh, when I put it up there, I just want you to tell me if it looks familiar to anything that you know. There it is, presbyteros. Does that sound like anything you've heard before? Anybody? What, what's it sound like? Presbyterian, Presbyterian right? So the Presbyterian church, they got that word. It's not a word they just invented. It comes from this. So the word elder, presbyteros, okay? So the elders of the church, it comes from a word that had to do with older, just like our word elder. But it came to mean in the church setting, that person, like what it says right here, those who presided over the assemblies or churches. And so in this church, you have two elders. We're not the oldest people in the room, but we're the two elders. Anybody know who the two elders are at Edgewood Baptist Church? Me and who else? Pastor John, right? And so what's a word that we use in America instead of saying elder? I mean, if you want to call me that, I'd be okay. You know, elder Matt, okay, that seems kind of weird, but if you wanted to. But what, what word do we use uh, instead of the word elder? Typically, pastor, right? Pastor, I know some people, they say, hey, preacher. You know, they call you preacher. Or if it's Danny, I get called buddy. Uh, right, so there's, there's terms that we use. And for us, we usually use the word pastor. They use this word. Uh, presbyteros, uh, which is translated elder. Okay, so continue on. Verse 18, and when they came to him, so these elders came down, when they came to them, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from, and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before I go on, uh, if you've been with us through the majority of Acts, this stuff rings a bell, doesn't it? I can remember Paul, he was doing this. So he's just relating it, reminding them, you remember, this is what I've done, and this is where I've been. Okay? 
He goes on. He says, now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Now start to put yourself in the place of these elders, right? Uh, how dependent would you have felt on somebody like the Apostle Paul? Would you have felt very dependent on him for truth and knowing what to do? Absolutely. I mean, he's the one that's come. And I mean, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't even know so many of these things. And listen to what he says to them. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, I imagine myself being one of those Ephesian elders and, and hearing this and maybe already my mind starts to go, man, he's going to Jerusalem and, and wanting to pray for him, wanting to encourage him, but also being sad that it sounds like he's headed in a direction that we're not going and will we see him again, but also being profoundly inspired by what he's saying. For Paul to say, I just want to finish this course. Jesus has laid a course out for me. And I want to finish this course. I want to take it to the very end. See this thing through. And that's what he's talking to them about. So he's going to Jerusalem. He says, but I do not account my life for, uh, of any value or nor is precious to myself. But now he says this, and now behold, I know that none of you among who I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So you can imagine as they're listening to this, that the dreaded reality sets in. I mean, they might have been thinking it before he said this, but then he just says it. I know that none of you, Ephesians, that I've been able to minister to you are going to see my, my face again, meaning here on this earth. Tough. That would be tough news. He continues on. He says, therefore, because I know that I'm not going to see you again, and this is why this has become known as his farewell speech, he shifts from just talking about where he's been and what he's done and where he thinks he's going to giving them some encouragement because in his absence, the church he's concerned about needs to continue to thrive, to use the word from our song. So he shifts gears into some direction and he says this to those elders. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. By the way, I'm not going to preach in that particular phrase, but... Uh, that's one that has stuck out for me. This is a significant verse for myself, to preach the whole counsel of God, not just parts of it, but the whole thing. That's a, that's a personal goal that I have. I know many pastors hold that, that same goal to present to you and to bring to you the whole counsel of God. The easy stuff to listen to, the inspiring stuff to listen to, but also the convicting stuff to listen to and the, the challenging things to listen to. Do you know how much easier it'd be for me to be a pastor if all I had to do is get up here and give you a go get them speech every week and say, all right, love to have you and just there you go and everything's happy. But to know that some weeks I have to get up and there's passages of scripture that I have to share that I know are gonna step on some of your feet. That's tough to do. And I'm just gonna be honest. I don't always enjoy that part. But I accept it as what God has for me to do. And it's because of a verse like this to, pre to bring to you, I don't want to shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Anyway, back to what he's saying to these men. He says then, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And so, as you can imagine, as I was studying this this week, this feels very much directed at me. So last week, I was directing some things at all of you. If you weren't here, we've got some recordings of that. I was directing some things out this way. I'm going to refer to that again in a minute. But uh, this week, I was reading this going, man, this is, uh, I guess just me and John have to go to church this week. And uh, I can preach to him and he can just, you know, play it back to me or something. But that's not true, is it, right? Is there something in here for you? I think there is. I think there's some ideas in here. So let me share what this says. This is to elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Tons of things in there. I wish I had time to just unpack every single one of them. Let me open up a couple. Um, The first one is that word overseer. And we just heard the word uh, elder, which was presbyteros. This word overseer, I'll show you the Greek word. You tell me if this one sounds familiar. Episcopos. Does that one sound familiar? Episcopalian church. Oh, these churches, where did they get those names from? This is where they got these names from, right? Uh, The word uh, overseer, the word elder, the word pastor, all these words are very interchangeable in Scripture. It's not like there's one for this and one for this and one for this. But here we have this word. Uh, it, it speaks very much to the different roles that you have to play as an elder. This one kind of hems in on the fact that it's a guy that's charged with the duty of seeing that things be done by others. Things that are being done by others are done rightly. So like a superintendent, right? I'm going to come back to that thought in a little bit. There's another word in here that would be easy to skip over, but notice right there it says to care for the church of God. So just in case you think one of these titles for pastor has been left out. That one's there as well. Now, this one's not going to sound familiar to you, but if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, I'm going to pull up later, that word care is translated a different way. It's translated as the word pastor. You know what it means? Shepherd. So all three terms that we typically use for pastor, elder, overseer, presbyterian, episcopal, these, all these words are mentioned in this passage. They're all there. And so you see it even in this spot, to care for the church, to feed, to tend the flock, to keep the sheep. He continues on. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So you start to see what this shepherding, caring for the flock is all about. He says, Paul's leaving and he's looking at these elders and he says, I know when I leave, something is going to happen. Wolves will come in among you. They're not going to spare the flock. What are these wolves? wolves? Actual wolves, Paul? No, obviously not. What's he talking about? He's talking about false teachers, false teaching. He says, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things. Or that, that word means distorted or corrupt, things that aren't quite the actual truth. To draw away the disciples after them. So what's the fear Wolves are coming. Paul knows this. And so he's encouraging these elders. And so then he shifts back again. He says, therefore, because you know this, he says, therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years, and so he pulls himself in as an example. For three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And and, and now I commend you to God. That word commend is a really interesting word. It means, it literally means to set a place at a table for them. So if you're commending, so it's, it's like if you came in and I, I, I opened up a, a spot at a table with food on it already ready to go. That's what the word commends. And so what's he doing here? 
He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So these elders, he said, these two things, to God and to his word. That's what I'm setting before you. That's what he means when he says, I commend you. Why, he says, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He continues on, verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered uh, to my necessities and to those who were with me. He's saying, don't be a burden, essentially. If you know Paul, Paul had a, uh, another career. Anybody remember what Paul's other career was that he uh, tended to dig into occasionally? Tent maker, right? So he would, uh, 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 in many of the cities he went to, he would occupy himself with that as well. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Picture this. I just, sometimes it's so valuable to just enter into what is happening here. So Paul's just said, I'm not gonna see any of your faces again after this. And so then he admonishes them with these words and then he says, Let's pray, and he kneels down with them, and he prays. And can you just imagine Paul with these Ephesian elders knelt down together? I think you can imagine what happens next. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, kissed him. By the way, if I ever tell you I'm leaving, that doesn't need to happen. No kissing is necessary. Just want to throw that out there being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And so they, they're just, can you imagine their face just crying, walking with him and watching him get on the ship. Do you think they just watched the ship sail off too? I imagine they did. Okay, so now we're gonna pause. There's the passage. I put a pause button up there for you just so you know this is where we're pausing. I'm gonna pause for a second. I know there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of technical stuff. There's so many things that I could have hemmed in and focused in on and just thought, man, I really talk about this, talk about this, talk about this, so many things. Last week, I, I kind of focused in on two aspects of, and so last week, I was, man, I was kind of preaching to you guys, and there was two things particular that I mentioned. One was be giving. The other one was be faithful. We talked about that last week. This week, there's two things that I'm going to hem in on again. And this week, it's uh, focusing in, and this speech is aimed at the pastors, the elders. So this is John and myself. John, you didn't know. I could just turn my podium this way and just, no. Um, I think you're going to see that there's some implications in what I'm saying. So I'm going to be, you're going to be listening to me preaching to myself this morning. I think you're going to hear that there's some implications for you as well because of what's been given and what roles have been given to me and to John as your elders. The first one is this. Put a little sheep up there for you. First implication, first thing here that is commanded clearly from this passage is John and I are to shepherd the flock. As an elder, overseer, pastor, whichever word you want to choose, by the way, these are not man-invented roles. Do you get that from this passage of Scripture? 
This isn't my idea or some other guy from 2,000 years ago. This isn't Paul's idea. Whose idea is it to have a church, an assembly of God's people, and to have these particular roles with these titles? Whose idea was that? Yeah, some of your, yeah, God's. Okay. My primary concern that I, when I read through this, my primary concern, like when I, if I put up at the top, what is my primary concern from this passage? It was this one, to shepherd the flock. It was demonstrated in this shepherding to protect you from wolves. Did you see that in that passage? False teachers, false teaching, lies. From the outside, I haven't had any problem mentioning specific false teachers. There's one particular false teacher I love throwing out there. Uh, Joel Olstein. Uh, if you want me to go into my details as to why he's a false teacher, we can please ask me. I will tell you all the things he says that are lies. There are many others that I've mentioned from time to time. There are, hey, let's just start with this. Let's say this. There are teachers who are true and there are teachers who are false. And there is such a thing. Do you believe there is such a thing, truth and falsehood? M- my big role is to try to discern and determine based on God's word which one is which. From the inside as well, there are lies, falsehoods. It doesn't just have to be a person who gets up and says, Jesus isn't God. Okay, Obviously, if somebody got up in our church and said that, we'd go, that's not true, get out of here. Okay, Um, With my kids, uh, when they were little, when we would watch a science show and they would say something that wasn't true, we would all go, Lies. Do you remember doing that, Joe? Yeah. Lies. That's lies. We just say it, you know, right to the TV. Um, I kind of have that same role now with all of you. When I hear lies, I, I promise I try not to do it that way. So if you start saying something that's not true, I'm not gonna, just going to stop you in the middle of your sentence and go, lies. It might be tempting to do that from time to time, but I'm not going to do that. Want to point out some lies? I don't need church. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be faithful. Why do we even need church? Can't we just worship God wherever we want? Who would we ask to see if those things are true? Would we not ask God? Whose idea was church? Whose idea was to have these assemblies? In fact, we learned last week that it was already the habit of many to get together every single week as often as they could. We learned from that church last week that they, they didn't, it's not like they even had Sunday off, like many of you don't. They, they got together at the end of the day. They're like, we still got to get together. It was important. That's a lie that I hear. As a pastor, I get to see some of you struggle when you believe that lie, because if, if for whatever reason you decide in your head, well, I don't need it. And I know some of you, now please understand, compassionate, I'm, I'm compassionate. I know that there are things that come up and you can't make it, okay? I get that. That's why, by the way, I love, if you ever just want to make me so happy, just bring a tear to my eye and joy to my heart. Uh, if you know you can't make it, if you text me and say, Man, I can't make it, I'm so sorry. I love that. I'm just going to tell you right now. I love that when that happens. Uh, because, you know why? Because it tells me you want to be here and you just can't. Something's come up. I wish I could be there. So encouraging when that happens, by the way. It, yes, yeah, that you were thinking about it. it, it it's encouraging, isn't it? Uh, we, we, love, we love that. I love that when that happens. But I, compassion, I know there's things that come up. But too often, I think many of us in, in our community, we believe the lie, 
I, it's not, that it's not a necessity. I don't need that. It's nice if I can make it. I don't need it. I get to see then the results of that with many people, people that step away for one, two, three, for a long time. And I see the, the you know what happens? More lies start to creep in. And here's why I believe that happens. According to this passage, who has God uh, ordained to work in your protection against falsehood? In this particular group, who has God ordained to work hard at protecting you from falsehood? The elders, me, John. So if you say in your head, I don't need pastors, and you step outside of that, what you're really doing is you're saying, God, I know that that's your way, but I don't think that way has to work. That I think I can just, I, just me and you, God. Shepherd the flock. Here, let me give you another lie. I don't need to be obedient to what God says. It's not, I mean, as long as I'm believing it, I don't necessarily need to do it. I'll use Paul's words. Paul's words here. Do you not know, or I'm sorry, or you do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a, that's a hard passage to read in church, I'm telling you right now. And to keep it from coming across judgmental, I need to point out the other lie, that church isn't for any of those people. Because the very next verse says this, one of my favorites. Such were some of you. I love that phrase. Such were some of you. So you don't read that first half and go, well, church isn't for those people. Yes, it is. In fact, those are exactly the people that it's for. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let me go back to that other lie. I don't need a pastor. Listen to this verse I mentioned earlier, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he gave, okay, the he being God, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Imagine if I came to my son, Josiah, and I had a gift for him. And this gift that I had for him was for his own good and for his benefit, Right? And so I bring to him, I said, this, I've got this for you. I'm going to give this to you. And let's say I handed it to him and he went, boom, over the shoulder. Okay, now, I'm going to tell you right now. If the particular gift I was giving him was meant to be something to help him coming up, right? Let's say it was a, a gift because I know he has some project in school that he's going to have to accomplish. And so I give him this thing. He doesn't really want this thing but it would help him finish this, this project, right? So I give it to him. And he goes, boom. Now let's say a little bit later, the project starts to come due, and he goes, I can't get this done. It's not working out. Now, I'm not God, so um, 
I wouldn't respond by going, it's okay, buddy. Let's find that gift I gave you. Let's pull. I'd be like, tough luck, pal. <laughs> right? I gave you the gift. You threw it. Okay. I'm using that as an illustration because that's precisely what many people do when they, when they think about the church and the roles that people hold in church, pastors, right? This verse says that God gave, and he's talking about giving to the church. He gave to the, the church, the people, right? He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, that's that word pastor, and teachers to build you up so that you can do the ministry of God's plan, right? And so if you, if you go, I'm just gonna, I, I don't really, I don't think I need it. That's nice, but I don't think I need it. And you, you, you reject that, that mode of getting to God, and you say, I think I can just get to God any way I want. It, what you're ultimately rejecting is God's plan for you. How is he designed and orchestrated for you? And, and if you have kids, you know how frustrating it is when you lay out a plan for your kids, and this is how I'd like you to do it, and they just go, I'm gonna do whatever way I want to do it. You're like, oh, come on, you know? I don't think God's going, oh, come on. But I do think God is saying, I have laid these things out for you. They are a good gift for you. Submit to God's way for you. That passage goes on, and I don't have this passage, I don't have the rest of it up there, but it goes on to say that this is gonna continue to happen until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Basically, it goes on to say, until, until we all get to the end. So, it's not like there comes a point in history where this ceases to be a necessity. But this is God's mode of raising up his people to do the work that they ought to do. My main role, John's main role, shepherd the flock, guide you into truth. In 1 Peter, Peter writes this, he says to the elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly which means I'm not going to get up here and say, do what I tell you to do. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to try to, to the best of my ability, and I know John to the best of his ability, but more importantly, because of this belief that this is God's way, then I operate. So if you come and you ask me, and I have some of you do that from time to time, what ought I to do? I'm going to tell you right now, what I do in my head in those, those moments is I immediately jump into my head and I start, God, I'm getting ready to say something out loud in this role of pastor. God, give me the wisdom to know the right thing to say. Because I'm telling you, I say dumb things all the time. And so I'm like, I don't want to say the, the wrong thing. And so I jump into it and I'm trusting. So I, even doing this, getting up here, I'm trusting this is God's way, just like you are. I'm not any better or any different than any of you, but I'm trusting God's method. Does that make sense? If God's method is that he's going to appoint some to, be the, to fill these roles, and I jump in, and I say, okay, God, I'm willing to do it. And I, I jump in here, and I'm, I'm willing to do this role. I'm trusting that God is going to carry through with his plan. And so that, that means that when you came in today, what you needed to hear was this, because you and me were trusting that God's plan works. There's wolves. They want to draw you astray. I would encourage you to submit to God's way of protecting his people. Number two, back to John and I. John, we need to do this. Work hard. I ought not to be a lazy pastor. If I was a lazy pastor, I would hope you'd say, you're a lazy pastor. 
and uh, you shouldn't be in this role. I ought not to be a lazy pastor. Um, John and I, and I, I hope I don't venture too much into doing what Paul did in the defense of his ministry, but John and I, um, we both have full-time jobs, and they're very demanding. He's the, I don't even know what your role is. He's over Habitat for Humanity. He's got a special title. He's really important. Lots of people know him now. Big boss man. Lots of responsibilities. He works hard. Works all the time. I, I don't even know. Do you have a day off in the week? Not right, yeah. Um, works all the time. Um, I'm a, an instructional coach at a high school. I teach two classes. I'm the math department head, and I have the unfortunate role of also being everybody's tech help. I tried to not let people know I know how to do computer stuff, but they figured it out. Um, our jobs can be challenging. I hope that we're examples to you of working hard. I, I say that just to say I hope that we're examples of that. Um, I know we try. The example that uh, Paul laid out, if you caught this in this passage, the example was the work hard so that you could give. Um, we want to give as well. Um, now, I, I want to throw something in there just in case there's any confusion. I think that most people know this, but just in case you're fairly new to church or just have never really thought about it, um, a lot of people give a, a tithe is just 10%. A lot of people do that. You ought to give. Um, as a pastor, I'm not exempt from that, okay? So it's not like, well, if he's a bag, then he doesn't have to. No, that's not how that works. We do the same thing um, as we ought to do, but we do that as an example to you. Um, I usually try to, I do all my banking online, and so you can click the button and it sends the check. I don't know why I'm telling you this. It sends the check in the mail and it shows up here. But I, I, um, I make my mom, who gets the mail, I make her uh, hand me the check, even though she could just put it in the offering because it just came right directly to the church. I, I have her hand it to me because I want to when I have those, so when the offering plate comes around, you see me do that. Is that silly? I don't know. But I want you to know, that's why I do that. I want you to know that I, I, I put those things in there, that... It, it, but why is because of this. It's because you're, you, you work hard to set an example. And that, as pastors, that's what we're doing. We're trying to set an example for you so you know what we ought to be. We're not the best examples. We're trying. But this is why we do these things, to set an example for you. So your roles, we could summarize with these two pictures. Um, I'm not trying to imply that you look like that particular sheep, but... Um, that's a plump sheep. <clears throat> but I'm going to end today with a verse in Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, before I put this verse up here, I want to reiterate one particular thought that I've kind of filtered in throughout. Um, I think there are some who have filled the role of pastor at different churches at different times that have looked at this um, to their advantage I want you to know that I know that for myself and for John, we accept the role that because of this, we believe that God has given it to us, okay? We believe that God and his wisdom has decided we want you to, God wants us to do these things. I think I can speak for John and myself that in accepting these roles as pastor, elder, right? It's, it's a very cautious acceptance on both of our parts, 
because we recognize the, the, the weightiness of what this ought to be. I can't tell you how many times in the last almost 10 years now that I've been here that I've said, God, I think you picked the wrong guy. I can't tell you how many times that I've said, uh, maybe I need to stop doing this. I don't feel like I'm doing it as good as I should. I come up short all the time, and I know it. I feel it. But I continue on, and you know why? Because I'm, 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 I'm trying to do what I'm asking you to do. I'm trusting God's way of doing things. I'm going to tell you right now, if somebody more qualified than John and I came along, I'd be like, you want it? <laughs> God hasn't done that. And he's got me here. And so I'm testifying before you today that I'm saying, okay, God. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite passages is in, in Corinthians where it says, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong. I'm like, I bank on that verse. You know, I bank on it. And I, and I hope in the process of doing that and me talking about it right now that you recognize and you go, honestly, I, I hope that you go, well, if, if Matt in his weaknesses can jump up and, and I'm, I'm a very introverted person naturally, but if, I can, if he can jump up and, and preach and, and, and try to present the truth, if he can do that, then I can do the things that God has called me to do. That's what I hope. So I share this last verse with you. Uh, not to try to squash, but to try to encourage. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. See, I hate, I don't even like saying that out loud. I, I, I don't know if I could ever come, come to you and say, obey, submit, you know, except to Joe, I can do that. Everybody else, obey. But this is the words of God, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. Did you get that from what Paul shared with the Ephesians? I believe this next part to be so true. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I believe on judgment day, in addition to everything else, there's gonna be a special accounting that I'm gonna give and John's gonna give to how well we shepherded this flock, you people. I believe that's gonna happen. So the right thing to think for you, see the implication comes through in this verse. Let them do, then do this with joy and not with groaning. Right? Let them do this with joy and not groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. What does this mean? This means this. As we come up here, and I hope we, hopefully we continue to humbly submit to God's guidance as we lay out what we believe God has for you and his truth. Your role is then to hear it and say, okay, I'm trusting God's way. And so if, if Matt and John are saying these things, please check us, right? Make sure it's the truth. But I'm gonna do the best that I can to submit to the guidance that God has brought to me. And he says, let them do this with joy. So as we bring these things to you, let us do it with joy and not groaning. You don't want me to have to come before you and say, oh man, I'm about to say this to them and they're not gonna like it. They're gonna give me a hard time. That's what I have to do at school all the time. But it ought not to be that way in God's church. I'm gonna close in prayer. And as I do, I'm gonna pray and I wanna encourage you to pray with me in your heads.
I'm going to pray for two things. One, that John and I, by some miracle, can fulfill the role that God has for us. And it takes a miracle. I'm going to pray for that. And then I'm going to pray that if, if that is true and God gives us the wisdom to know how to lead, direct, and shepherd you, that you will then say, okay, God, I'm going to submit to the people that you've brought into my life. I'm going to submit to the, the guidance and the leadership that you've brought for me. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to pray now. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, I ask that you would fill me up with your Spirit and fill, fill John up. Lord, give us the wisdom that we need, um, the endurance. Lord, give us the compassion we need, direction when that's a necessary part. Help us, Lord, to find truth and, and stick with it. Help us to identify falsehoods and declare them to be falsehoods. Help us to be brave when we need to be brave, and courageous when that time may come. Help us to be good examples to all those that are in this room. And Lord, I pray this because I know, God, it takes your gracious hand to empower us. To, John and I were very human. And so, God, we come to you and we humbly ask, Lord, give us the grace to do these things that you've laid out for us, to shepherd the flock, and to work hard. God, I pray now as I shift from that thought to the, all those that are in this room, Lord, I pray now that even today, if they've come into this building, maybe seeking you, God, that they'll recognize that what you have for them, you are channeling through your method, this church and these pastors. Now, God, I pray that you'd help each person in this room. If what John and I are saying is truth, God, I pray that you help each person in this room to submit to that truth. Lord, as if they're submitting to God himself and understanding that you're, you're guiding these things. Help them to do the things that they're called to do by your truth and your grace. Empower them to do those things. God, overall, I ask now that you would just take this church, Lord, all that are here today, all that are here uh, each and every week, those that are here when they can be. And God, I pray that you would put your loving embrace around this church and guide it into being the kind of church that you would want us to be. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.